Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. All right, folks. 2020 has, to put it mildly, presented some challenges for all of us. You know, the good news, our patrons' numbers are still growing, almost daily. I truly, truly cannot thank all of you enough for your support. It's been overwhelming. And for those of you who've had to reassess your budgets, please know, I totally get it. And I will always be grateful for your belief in this program and the power of great content. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you every day to make sense out of everyday things, to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tack box, to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. Our patrons make all of this possible. The funds are specifically designated only for overhead. They literally keep the MP3s rolling. Meanwhile, the patrons-only After Dark Facebook Live and Zoom meetings each month truly have been a fabulous success. Conversation, support, laughter, some education, some mentorship, lots of encouragement, and even, randomly, the occasional adult beverage. So click the link at www.puredogtalk.com and become a patron today. Your small contribution helps make a huge voice for purebred dogs. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I have a really cool guest today. This is Dr. Lori Cesario, and she is the owner and founder of the Canine Cancer Academy. And so cancer is definitely something that we all fear. The big C isn't just for people, it's for dogs too. And we're really excited that Dr. Lori's here to talk to us and to give us some information. And today, today's episode, we're going to be talking about early detection and what are the signs that we can look for. So I think this is absolutely critical information and welcome. I really appreciate it, Lori. Thank you. I'm excited to be here and hopefully give people some more information than they already have. You know what? My answer, education, is the answer to everything. Yeah, so it's huge. I fully believe it. Tell us a little bit. I mean, this is a particular practice focus for you, Canine Cancer Academy. I mean, this is really mm-hmm. specific stuff. How did you get to this place? So when I was in vet school, towards the end of vet school, we started learning about oncology, and it just kind of clicked for me. And I got really excited about it. And the next time we had a break from school, I spent two weeks with an oncologist in New Jersey. And I just loved how he connected with clients. You know, obviously, like you mentioned, it's just incredibly scary to get a cancer diagnosis. You don't know what's coming the next week or the next month. You don't know if you should treat or how you should treat. And the way that he was able to explain things in a way that they understood and just guide them through the decision-making process. I just thought was amazing. He was so good at what he did. 
and just the bond that he developed with the clients and also with the patients. And I also thought it was kind of fascinating the way that you could just stick a little needle in a skin mass and look under the microscope and make a diagnosis. I loved that part. Right. Instant right. satisfaction. <laughs> Instant gratification. Exactly. <laughs> Love that. It's always nice. And for some cancers like lymphoma, you could take a dog that's feeling really, really sick right. and in a day turn that dog around to feeling much better. So all of those things just really appeal to me. Very cool. And you are actually located in California, yeah, yeah. correct? Southern California. Yeah. Okay. But I'm from New York. Okay. All right. Well, Lori, take us through this. What am I going to be looking for? What am I going to see that tells me that there's something here and I need to actually be scared or be concerned or what is, it's just a mm-hmm, lot, mm-hmm. right? right, <laughs> you right. Know, so those early detection things that we can look for. Yeah. So that is always the challenge because cancer can honestly look like anything and I'll get into details, but it can look like a limping or it can look like a lump. It can look like an infected toenail or a skin infection. Or it could just look like, you know, your dog's feeling a little tired or has a nosebleed or is drinking a ton of water and normally he doesn't do that. Mm. So I think the best place to start, and I know that this audience is really good at this part, just knowing what is normal for your dog and trusting your instincts as this is normal and this something new isn't normal. And if you notice a change you know, sure, if he gets into the garbage or eats something that he shouldn't, you know, he's not going to be feeling great for the next 24 to 48 hours. Or if he overdoes it in the yard or roughhousing with a playmate, you know, he might be limping for a week. But if something changes and is either getting worse or just isn't getting better, and what your vet suspected, maybe just isn't turning out to be the reason that you just don't blow it off, but you kind of pursue it until you have an answer. Because even something as subtle as I had a client who did a lot of dock diving with her dog. And that dog was just so energetic, so full of life, walking down the street. You'd never know there was anything wrong with her. But At her most recent duck diving competition, she just wasn't diving as far as normal. So her incredibly astute owner just said, huh, you know, I just don't think something's right. So she took her in for a blood test and the blood test showed that she was just a little bit anemic. So her red blood cell count was a little bit low. She had a really good relationship with a few of the internists at that practice because she had had numerous dogs before. And they decided to do an ultrasound and found a mass in the spleen, which they ultimately decided to remove and did find out that it was histiocytic sarcoma. So mm-hmm. normally, you know, somebody might blow off a dog that just isn't diving as far, right. but it can be something as subtle as that. Yeah. I think what you're saying, that piece about know your dog is so critical. Yeah. So critical. Okay. So let's go through some really common and specific ones that you're thinking about? Okay. So the most common one probably is a skin mass. So obviously skin tumors can come in all shapes and sizes. We all want them to be benign 
And benign versus malignant, just as a refresher, that just means a benign tumor is cured with surgery if you remove all of the tumor. A malignant tumor has the ability to spread to other places in the body. You know, some a higher percentage, some a lower percentage, but that's basically the difference. And the difficult thing about skin tumors is that there are some malignant tumors, especially things like mast cell tumor, that can look exactly the same as a benign tumor like a lipoma. Mm -hmm. And we've all seen and we've all felt lipomas and they're just this squishy thing under the skin, not too exciting. But whenever a dog develops a new skin mass, you always want to ask your vet, can you sample this and get a diagnosis? You don't want to ask them to look at it because they'll probably say, well, it looks like a lipoma, but you know, what if it's not? It just, everyone can sleep easier at night if you just sample it and then you know for sure. Is there any way to tell, I mean, I've heard this sort of anecdotally. So I mm-hmm. now have like a trained professional. I'm so excited. Is there a way to tell, you know, like feel it attached, unattached, consistency, you know, all of those things that some people will say make a difference in your self-exam of your dog before you go to your veterinarian? You know, there are some tumors that, okay, so if you see a mass and it's like waxing and waning or getting bigger and larger, or like, huh, I thought there was a mass there yesterday, but I'm not seeing it today. And then in a week it comes back. That's very common with mast cell tumors. Uh, mast okay. cell tumors commonly shrink and increase in size and shrink again or go away. So if you are noticing something like that, don't think that you're just making it up in your head. It could very well be a <laughs> you're mast not cell losing tumors. your mind. <laughs> you're not losing your mind. What I tell people to do sometimes is just draw a little black magic marker with a Sharpie around the mass, if you're comfortable with that. And then you can just kind of keep track of the size. But that's something common with mast cell tumors. If you are noticing, like if it's a fast growing mass, if it's open or ulcerated or hairless, so not covered with hair, very pink, that can also be a mast cell tumor. The only way to know is of course to sample it. But of course, if we see anything that's ulcerated, or fast growing, or it just seems very itchy, your dog wants to lick it, you know, that's something common with mast cell tumors that are maybe more aggressive. Or if it's very firm, maybe kind of has a very kind of ropey attachment, sometimes soft tissue sarcomas feel like that. Okay. But yeah, very, very variable. All right. So short answer, probably not. Like you probably can't tell. (laughs) Can't tell 100%. We always say like our eyes aren't microscopes. So you always want to get a sample and then you know for sure. Our eyes are not microscopes. I really like that. That's a good, no, I'm serious because we tend to want to. It sort of just keeps you safe. Yeah, exactly. Love that. Okay. So that's the skin type of thing, the lumps and bumps that we worry about. So what else could we see? I think the other thing that maybe is unknown is that If a dog has something that looks like a toenail infection, like they have this oozing from under the toenail, maybe the toe is a little Mm. bit swollen or they're licking it or biting it and it seems uncomfortable, a lot of times, obviously, you would think, oh, maybe there's a foxtail in there or a piece of glass or whatever. But if it's something that 
doesn't immediately respond to treatment with antibiotics, or if your vet looks at it and says, I don't see anything stuck in there, then definitely get a sample because toenail tumors or toe, which we call digit tumors, can look exactly like a toenail infection. Interesting. And it's not the first thing that people think of. So it's not uncommon for a dog to come in and they've been on various antibiotics for four to six months. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So we don't want that to happen. And it's most commonly either melanomas or squamous cell carcinomas. They're most commonly in larger black haired and black skinned breeds. So like Rottweilers and Gordon Sitters, even flat coated retrievers, black labs, things like that. Scottish Terriers do have an increased incidence of digital melanoma, but that's something just to no, and just again following the rule of thumb. If something pops right. up, the black coated thing—that's yeah, exactly. not one I'd ever heard. Yeah, and if something pops up again and isn't getting better, dig deeper, and that usually involves getting a sample. Okay, and are you sampling the tissue? You're sampling the fluid. What are you sampling? Yeah, you're sampling the tissue. And sometimes you do have to get a biopsy because if this infection has been going on for a while, sometimes if you just do like a needle aspirate, so stick a needle into the toe, you Mm. might just get inflammatory cells and actually miss the tumor cells. So sometimes you do actually have to get a piece of the tissue, a biopsy of tissue. Yeah. Okay. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Embark is a proud sponsor of Pure Dog Talk. DNA testing is rapidly growing amongst breeders. And given the importance of these test results to the health of not only each dog, but also that of future generations of dogs. At Embark, they believe it's critical to provide transparency in their testing methods that result in more than 99.99% accuracy for health tests. Embark's innovative testing platform enables the hundreds of genetic health and traits test results provided in Embark's products, while also creating research-ready data for use by canine health organizations and scientists. Embark's methods exceed industry quality control standards by also checking the breed, sex, and relatives of every sample to ensure DNA samples are correctly labeled and unique identity is recorded. In addition to quality control, this helps fraud prevention by ensuring the same dog can't be tested multiple times without Embark knowing. At Embark, they're proud of their world-class canine DNA testing service, and they're committed to continually raising the bar. They're on a mission to provide breeders and all dog owners with the high level of accuracy they need to optimize their breeding programs, manage the lifetime care of their dogs, and improve the health of future generations of dogs. Haven't used Embark yet? Get your first Embark for Breeders dog DNA test for $99 right now. You use the code TRYEMBARK99 at EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders. That's TRYEMBARK99 at EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders. So then that leads us to think about things like bone cancer that cause our dogs to limp that Mm -hmm. are super scary. Yes. So let's talk about that a little bit. 
Yes. So if your dog develops a limp and if with two weeks of strict rest and maybe pain meds, it's not getting better, then the next step is usually to, aside from physical exam, you know, take some x-rays. And obviously the result of the x-rays will point us in one direction or another, but sometimes we'll see part of the bone that looks either eaten away or with new bone production. And depending on where that is located, we might suspect something like osteosarcoma, which is the most common type of bone tumor in dogs that accounts for over 85% actually of primary bone tumors in dogs. So that's bone tumors that start in the bone as opposed to spread to the bone from somewhere else. And kind of the poster child breeds for those are mostly just large breed dogs like Great Danes and all the other ones. And interestingly, it's usually not just the breed, but the height of that particular dog. So the taller dogs of a particular breed are more likely to get that disease. Interesting. But I always think that it's a good idea just to try and get a sample, just to make sure that we know what we're dealing with. And just on the topic of the x-rays, whenever I take x-rays, I always have them read by a board-certified radiologist. So that's when we're talking about x-rays of bone, x-rays of the lungs, just because that's what they're trained for. And I want to make sure that I'm not missing something. I think it's worth the extra 50 to $80 to have them look at something. Mm-hmm. Well, the board certified radiologists are going to see things because they look at x-rays. Oh, exactly. All the, yeah. Right? Like they look at this, that's like their job. And it's just like anything else. You always want the brain surgeon to do your brain surgery, not the plumber. Exactly. Right? I mean, it's just, yeah. I am a huge advocate for hire a trained professional. They usually have these beautiful screens that have a much better resolution than we have. Right. So they have a much better ability to see things we can't. The other thing that can happen sometimes is a dog that just comes up with a limp. Maybe it's in the back leg. And maybe the first thing that we think is, oh, I wonder if there's a cruciate tear. On occasion, those dogs might have something like Uh, histiocytic sarcoma arising from the joint. So histiocytic sarcoma is usually something that most people might associate with Bernese mountain dogs, because 25% of Bernese mountain dogs will develop histiocytic sarcoma. And when it affects those dogs, it more commonly just affects kind of all of their organs. When we talk about the type of histiocytic sarcoma that arises in the joint, that's going to be something that more commonly affects flat-coated retrievers, labs, goldens, et cetera, things like that. Mm -hmm. But often it's very frustrating because you don't always see a mass first. Like when I was doing my residency, we would find a lot of these dogs were actually referred to the orthopedic service for a cruciate rupture. And then upon further investigation, they said, no, you know, the cruciate ligaments are normal, the knees are fine, Mm -hmm. but there was actually a mass in the joint. And so that is sort of important to tease out sometimes. And if the tumor hasn't spread and if it's treated appropriately with surgery and, and chemo, a lot of those dogs can do quite well. So depending on the paper you read, right, up to 33 months on average. Wow. Okay. So in the early detection, you know, pay attention to your dog, look for these signs. Lymphoma, we know the 
submandibular? Yes, the mandibular lymph nodes. Yep, yep. I guess the other big thing about early detection is that not every vet clinic or veterinarian is going to have access to the right tests that are able to detect these cancers early. So I would say that, you know, if you do notice something abnormal and, you know, you go to vet number one and they can't find anything wrong, it might be reasonable to just get a second opinion or maybe go to a specialist like an internist, depending on what's going on, of course, so that they can maybe use tools that the first doctor didn't have, which might be an ultrasound. It might be a CT scan because sometimes it's just a matter of doing the right test to find the answer. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, again, part of the discussion of catching it early is, are we talking about young dogs, middle-aged dogs, old dogs? Mm -hmm. So we're in that spectrum. So if I've got a three-year-old dog that's lame, I'm probably thinking a different thing than a 10-year-old dog that's lame. Yeah. If you have a younger dog, definitely cancer is going to be much further down on your differential list than a middle-aged to an older dog. On your differentials, right. I will say that that does bring up a good point because most people think of older dogs as the one to develop cancer, but many of these cancers are just as common in middle-aged dogs. So we're talking about like six or eight years old too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seven plus seems to be, yeah. you know, if they make it to 10, they're going to live forever. It's that seven to 10 that'll get you. <laughs> it's always nice to see like a 16-year-old golden retriever. I'm seeing more of those, which is really nice. I spoke to somebody who was sort of leading or heading the vaccine against canine cancer study, which a few academic facilities are involved in. And what was really interesting is a lot of my clients, I think, are frustrated often because they feel like we should be able to detect cancer early on routine blood work. And I think it's always a little bit surprising when I tell them that, no, you know, we have to actually identify the tumor and then sample the tumor. But it sounds like this guy I was talking to, Dr. Stephen Johnston from Arizona State University, his company has actually developed a blood test that detects antibodies that the body has produced against the tumor. And it sounds like the one that they're going to release first is a blood test that can detect antibodies that your dog's body has produced against hemangiosarcoma so that with just like a microscopic drop of blood oh i feel like angels should be singing on high yeah exactly Yeah. yeah talk about your early detection oh my gosh so supposedly it should be available per him around the end of the year so that would be amazing wow yeah and i had not heard that prior to speaking with him I had heard rumors, you know, AKC Canine Health Foundation. Mm -hmm. I talked to those people. So I had kind of like little birds in my ear. Yeah. But I had not heard that it was this close and on the horizon. I don't think word has traveled through the oncology community. But yeah, I mean, something like that is incredibly exciting. Huge. Well, and hemangiosarcoma is one I wanted to specifically sort of touch on 
because it impacts a lot of the breeds that I'm involved with, Spinonis, mm-hmm. wire hair pointers, you know, all these. And the thing that is such a, a bitch, I'm sorry, but the thing that's really horrible about Hamanjo is they're fine and then they're dead. Exactly, and there's literally yeah. nothing in between. Yeah, that is a difficult one. I think that there are certain times where after the diagnosis, you talk to the family and they say, you know what? it does seem like maybe she was a little bit off and then she'd get better and then she got a little bit lethargic and then she got better. So I think that subtle waxing and waning lethargy does often get written off as something related to old age. But again, it's often just so subtle, you know, they're just off for a day and then back to normal So it's just so hard to just run to the clinic for an ultrasound every time something is off, obviously. Right. Right. (laughs) Well, and that's the part between, you know, I talk to my vet friends that are all kind of old school vets and we have a thing called ADR. Ain't doing right. Yeah, of course. (laughs) What do I do with this? Yeah. I call them up. ADR. Somebody or another is ADR. And then where do you draw that line between dog's ADR and I can't really pinpoint it and... I'm a freaking lunatic and the vet won't even take my call. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, maybe the decision can be made in part due to breed and age. Like if it's a golden retriever and, you know, those have such a high incidence of something like hemangiosarcoma, you know, and if it happens twice, you know, then maybe it's reasonable to get it checked out. If you have something like a really good pet insurance and you know they're going to cover it. Trepanion. Exactly. <laughs> so I was going to say, then there's more reason to do it or just start with blood work, but ultrasound's really going to be the key. The thing about hemangiosarcoma is the prognosis is usually better if you can catch it when it's stage one before it ruptures. And that is something that we do often find incidentally when say we're taking a dog to surgery for a mass on the skin and we say, you know what, we just want to make sure that everything else is completely perfect before surgery. Let's just do an abdominal ultrasound to make sure. And sometimes on the routine workup, we do find a splenic mass. It's always better to find it at that point rather than having them come in a couple months later. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Then in surgery. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So those are all really, really good things. Mm -hmm. Abdominal ultrasounds, if it's a couple times of ADR, it might be well worth your time to just say, hey, let's take a peek in there. We have all this technology. And if that blood test does come out, you know, at the end of the year, then maybe if you have a golden retriever and it's in the right age group, then maybe that's something that you do every six months. Right, exactly. And is that particular blood test that is specific to Goldens or it's all breeds? It would just be specific to the type of cancer, but not specific breed. Okay, to the breed. Okay, that's what I thought I understood. Okay, Mm -hmm. very cool. All right, well, Lori, thank you. This has been fabulously interesting to me. And I love this stuff. I totally enjoy learning things. And I just value the people who bring us that education. So thank you. Well, I'm happy to share. And yeah, I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you very much. Excellent. We will talk again soon. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. 
The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.